Okay, welcome to Osteobites, everybody. My name is Anne Graham. I'm an Osteo Warrior and Executive Director of MIB Agents. It's a gorgeous fall day. So glad you're joining us. It's also a very exciting fall day for osteosarcoma because we have a new clinical trial to talk about. Um, this is what we wait for. This is what we're like, let's go. We need this to work. This one is for relapsed refractory osteosarcoma. Not only that, we get to talk with two very smart and very cool doctors who are dedicated to better for our kids with osteosarcoma, Dr. Julia Glade Bender and Dr. Philemon De La Cruz. Dr. Glade Bender, you may be familiar with from our collaborative MIB agents, Hyundai Hope on Wheels Thought Leaders Conference and our MIB Factor Conference. She received her MD from University of Pennsylvania and practices at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, kind of my alma mater. Um, <laughs> she is the vice chair for clinical research and is a pediatric oncologist who specializes in caring for young people with solid tumors of the bone and soft tissues, including osteosarcoma, Ewing sarcoma, rhabdomyosarcoma, um, you know, all the usual suspects that we need to start defeating um, solidly. Dr. De La Cruz received his MD from UC Davis, and he is a pediatric oncologist who also cares for children with sarcomas, including Ewing sarcoma, osteosarcoma, rhabdomyosarcoma. Um, he is actively involved in the pediatric translational medicine program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center where they're using new technologies to gather information about biology and genetics of each patient's tumor to help guide treatment decisions that specifically target an individual's cancer. So here for that, really exciting work. Um, also, he's involved with leading clinical trials of new treatments for cancer, specifically pediatric sarcomas like osteosarcoma. Before we get started with this conversation today that is relevant to so many of us, uh, please allow me to tell you that MIB Agents makes it better, MIB, for kids with osteosarcoma through our programs, research, and education. Our education programs include our, our annual MIB Factor Conference, our testing and research directory, which helps inform a personal treatment plan or, uh, or osteosarcoma research, osteobites, our clinical trials 60 second search, which lives on our website and our book, which I happen to have here, uh, osteosarcoma from our families to yours, which uh, was uh, also uh, worked on by Dr. De La Cruz's and Dr. Julia Glade Bender's colleagues, um, who are also on our board. Uh, and the second thing is our MIB agents support programs. This includes a verified osteosarcoma resource packet, which you can request. We send it out free of charge. It's full of resources, not only from MIB, but from other uh, supportive organizations that, that help osteosarcoma patients. We also have a gamer agent program, warrior mail, ambassador agents who are trained to support their fellow osteo warriors. We have prayer agents, end of life missions, bereavement and young adult support uh, group for survivors. Finally, research. Our Outsmarting Osteosarcoma funds osteosarcoma specific research, supports researchers, and we share that research um, as much as we can. We, we, we love osteosarcoma researchers so much no charge ever to participate in MIB Agents program. Therefore, we need your support on Giving Tuesday. We are committed to raising $43,000 for the 43 kids who are diagnosed with cancer every single day. Together, we can cause a cure, not kidding. So please remember us on Giving Tuesday. Okay, uh, that's my long introduction. Um, Dr. Julia Glade Bender, would you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Julia Glade Bender, and I'm thrilled and delighted to be able to join Osteobytes today. Um, I, as um, Anne said, am the Vice Chair for Clinical Research at Memorial Sloan Kettering and also a member of our sarcoma service. 
um, and um, really have spent most of my career uh, doing early phase clinical trials, new agent research for um, children with relapsed and refractory cancers. So today's session is really going to focus not only on a single trial, but sort of the landscape of um, what is out there right now for relapsed and refractory osteosarcoma. Um, and I'm really here uh, to um, support uh, my colleague um, and friend, uh, Dr. Phil Delacruz, who uh, is really um, one of the spectacular translational researchers who not only um, helps with the clinical trials, but also does all of the preclinical research uh, in the lab to support their development to make sure that we're really only bringing the most promising therapies into the clinic for children. So Phil, I pass it to you. Great, thanks, Julia. So I'm Phil Delacruz. Um, I also am a sarcoma doc here. Um, but what you might not know is, yes, I've known Julia for a long time and she was and continues to be my mentor. <laughs> so we knew each other when we first met at Columbia before we came over from Memorial. But, but yeah, as, as Julia said, this was, you know, sort of my involvement and, and sort of my first job out of college actually was in a laboratory that happened to do research in uh, amongst other things sarcomas and it was so very interesting and very exciting actually to come back you know more than a decade later to sort of see what happened since and you know I think um, a lot of the things and a lot of the trials that that we'll be sort of talking about uh, today, or, or, you know, I think it really is, is built upon, you know, an incredible amount of work by so many people. And so it's, it's very sort of humbling and, you know, it's, it's always sort of a privilege to work, um, you know, in this field, um, you know, and, and I think osteosarcoma is something that, you know, I know we, we all feel very passionately about because as I'll show, Shortly, you know, there are some things about it that are, are still quite frustrating in, in, in terms of, um, you know, changing the outcomes for patients with osteosarcoma. So, um, but as Julia mentioned, I also, you know, in addition to seeing patients, which was my first love in medicine, you know, I also sort of have the privilege of, of going into the laboratory and, and learning more about, um, yes, what treatments are effective, but, but also just as important because believe it or not, a lot of the, the treatments that we use, we actually don't know how they work um, or they don't know who they work better on. And I think that's one of the challenges. And so that's one of the things that, you know, myself and many others, you know, who do this sort of work are, are sort, of, um, uh, sort of motivated by, so. So thank you for, uh, this is exciting. So thank you for the invitation to speak uh, with you guys My today. My pleasure. Anna, go ahead. I'm Anna Eggleton, and I'm very proud to be MIB Agents uh, Director of Marketing and just very excited to be here with uh, these awesome researchers and, and scientists. So originally when we were planning this talk, we, we had originally thought we would just be talking about one clinical trial, and we will still talk about that one trial, specifically this, the OLLI um, clinical trial, but uh, things have changed actually fairly recently, which is why we, we thought to sort of expand the talk and talk about, as Dr. Bender was saying, sort of the landscape of, of other studies, other clinical trials, both sort of that are open, will open. Uh, and then in the end, I want to talk about sort of things that aren't quite at the stage of the clinical trials, but hopefully may, may sort of enter the stage for patients with relapsed refractory osteosarcoma. And this is sort of our, our standard disclosures, but I think none, none of the sort of our disclosures and involvements have, you know, uh, have any direct effect on the content of what I'm about to discuss. 
And so I always like to start with sort of like general and, and the basics. So a lot of us know all about osseous sarcoma, but as you can see in, in terms of, you know, what, what is the proportion of patients of, with osseous sarcoma compared to children with cancer, it's a, it's a minority. So bone tumors make up about 5%, but within this, osseous sarcoma is the most common malignant tumor of bone that is um, uh, that occurs in children and in young adults. And um, it also has this bimodal distribution. So the majority of the patients that develop osteosarcoma tend to be uh, um, uh, individuals who are, who are in their sort of adolescent years and um, young adults. And then there's a second peak that happens uh, much later on in life and is associated with um, Paget's disease of the bone. And this uh, sort of are the sort of the survival statistics. These are the outcomes of, of patients who are diagnosed with localized osseous sarcoma. And, you know, what, what these generally uh, sort of show is that, you know, for the most part, patients with localized disease, about two thirds of them um, are able to be cured of their disease. And you see this big jump here. And this is this big jump happened because of the, the, um, the use of systemic chemotherapy in the treatment of osteosarcoma. But as you notice though, that it, it was, it's not, it doesn't keep going up. It sort of has plateaued in, in both situations. And I think the thing that really motivates us is this graph, which is probably one of the most sort of frustrating graphs to look at, which is sort of the trend of survival of patients who have metastatic disease when they present. Um, and this is very similar to patients who have their disease relapse as well. And what's pretty sobering about this is the fact that despite many decades of, of treating this disease, we've not really made a significant um, sort of uh, impact or improvement in this group of patients. Um, and this uh, sort of is the, um, the results and the, the outcomes from sort of our last uh, the largest, last large study in osteosarcoma that looked at the standard three drug or the MAP chemotherapy and asked the question, well, if we just add more chemotherapy that um, also seems to be active in osteosarcoma, specifically this IE or iphosphamide do we improve the outcomes? And unfortunately, the answer to that was not really. So, you know, and so we're still sort of stuck with the, you know, and um, in terms of how, how well we're able to cure these, uh, cure patients with disease. And again, here's that really, you know, um, you know, sort of sad or sort of, uh, you know, outcomes in terms of what happens if you have metastatic disease when you first present uh, to the oncologist. Again, doesn't seem to, adding more chemotherapy does not seem to significantly um, affect the, the outcome um, of patients. And so what, what do we do? So we know that, you know, chemotherapy works, but we know that we really need to think about doing something different um, and, and adding something different uh, that works sort of in a different way than how chemotherapy works. And so now we're sort of, you know, now we've, you know, you've heard the term precision medicine and the, and the, the term of molecular medicine. And so in, you know, in the past decade now, there had been sort of these um, uh, newer drugs or these so-called small molecule inhibitors that have been evaluated in cancer, including cancers like osteosarcoma. And one strategy uh, was, you know, this thought of, of targeting this process called angiogenesis, which is um, uh, the process of creating a blood supply. So just like your organs need oxygen and nutrients to sustain itself, so does a, a tumor cell. Uh, but a tumor cell shouldn't be in your body, but it, it sort of is able to feed itself because it has this ability to create its own blood supply. Uh, and again, this, this process is mediated by a variety of proteins, or this process of angiogenesis is mediated by a variety of proteins, including this protein called VEGF, uh, which stands for vascular endothelial growth factor. 
Um, and tumors can secrete this um, or the receptor to this protein called VEGF receptor to establish a blood supply and, and allow it to grow. And so the, the thought of, you know, what if we can then target or prevent this from, prevent a tumor cell from occurring, perhaps we can then sort of starve um, and, and as a result, kill the tumor cell by um, uh, using drugs that have now been collectively referred to as anti-angiogenics to, to um, sort of um, suffocate uh, the, the tumor cell. And so we're able to accomplish this by these, these small molecule drugs that um, are, um, some of which are called tyrosine kinase inhibitors or TKIs that are small molecules that will either bind to the, this VEGF protein or the receptor of VEGF here and prevent their interaction. Because when they interact, then that results in a cascade of um, signals that allow uh, a tumor cell to start creating um, uh, these blood vessels. And some of these drugs, as you can see in this picture, are, you know, include now really a variety of drugs. A lot of these drugs end with Ib. And I think some of these you might also be familiar with. So things like serafinib and pazopinib, both of which have been used in, in osteosarcoma and, and other sarcomas with, with varying degrees of, of success. And so we know in osteosarcoma that um, just like with other tumors and other sarcomas that we see um, elevated levels of, of VEGF and which is one of the things that, that tip people off in terms of using this approach or this strategy to try to treat this type um, of tumor. Um, and we know that uh, you know, this is also linked uh, to their ability to travel or metastasize to other Sites. So, you know, we these tyrosine kinase inhibitors, these small molecule inhibitors, have been around now for many years, um, and then there are sort of newer generations that have been developed that have sort of um, different degrees of selectivity in terms of what they can bind to and inhibit. And so, the idea of why don't we take these these uh, sort of newer generation agents and combine them with something that we know. Um, is also effective and has activity and can kill osteosarcoma, meaning chemotherapy. So things like MAP or things like ifosamide etoposide. And so that was sort of the basis and the rationale for, you know, trials like OLLI. What if we take, you know, a small molecule and combine it with chemotherapy? Does that work um, sort of better? And hopefully we see something or we get a result different than what we saw when we combined just a bunch of chemotherapy drugs uh, together. And as I mentioned, sort of over the years, there have been many different um, small molecule or TKIs that have been developed. That sort of a newer generation TKI that was used in the OLLI study is this um, uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitor called lenvatinib. And, and lenvatinib inhibits your VEGF uh, receptors and actually all the different types of VEGF receptor proteins. But in addition to that, it also, and this is sometimes a good thing, it's, it's not so selective that it just turns this off, but it also binds to and inhibits other proteins um, or other receptors, in this case, something called FGFR, PDGFR, and RET. These are just other proteins very similar to FEGF that um, are involved in um, allowing a cell to proliferate and also to metastasize. Um, and so, uh, with this particular agent also, there have, you know, there are, before you do any sort of studies in, in people, there are uh, a lot of studies that are done in, um, uh, tumor models in the laboratory, including models of, of osteosarcoma. So this drug was also combined with chemotherapy in a mouse model of osteosarcoma. And uh, it was shown that the combination caused uh, the tumor to um, regress much more so than when you give either one by itself. And so that was sort of the, the, the um, motivation or the rationale for now exploring this combination in um, patients with osteosarcoma. And so this um, was actually the predecessor study to the OLLI 
trial, which is the study 207 that was led by Dr. Natalie Gaspar in France, as well as the rest of the, um, the European ITCC group that looked at uh, initially and in the safety. You always want to make sure you know, you know that when you combine this and give it to people that it's, it's safe and it's tolerable. And if so, what is the dose that we should use? Um, and so that's uh, one of the primary purposes of this study. Um, and they looked at uh, a population of patients who have osteosarcoma, who had either um, relapsed or who had progressive or refractory um, disease. So these are patients who um, you know, um, have all gotten standard chemotherapy, um, likely MAP chemotherapy. And so they needed something else. Um, uh, and uh, these patients tended to have uh, um, lung as their most frequent site of metastasis. So this is sort of a, a, a almost typical osteosarcoma patient who, who relapses or were the patients that were um, uh, treated in this study. And so the results of this study um, were, was published and they did find um, uh, an effective or a, a tolerated dose of the TKI, of the lenvatinib, in combination with ifosamide which is given once a day for three days, every, every 21 days. And what they also found in this study was actually preliminarily that there was, in addition to this being sort of a tolerated dose, um, the patients who were treated with a combination had a significantly improved um, uh, disease progression outcome at four months, meaning at four months, you know, what is the likelihood that um, a patient's tumor uh, had, uh, the likelihood that the tumor had progressed at that point. And that was found to be 51% at uh, four months compared to the historical control, compared to what if you don't do anything, which is 12%. So this is a very promising um, signal. Um, and the um, side effects that were observed were not any different um, uh, than what we would expect with any of these agents. And the predominant side effects that were observed were myelosuppression or decreases in, in, the, in the red blood cell, white blood cell, and platelet counts, as well as nausea and vomiting. And so because of the, the promising um, sort, of, um, uh, sort of outcomes that were seen in this study, that was the basis ultimately for Ollie's study, which is study 230. Um, which is really a confirmatory study looking at this combination of lenvatinib plus the chemotherapy, ifosamide etoposide. And the goal was to um, treat uh, 72 patients, um, and these patients were randomized um, into these two groups. So either the combination group or arm A, or patients who just got these sort of the standard chemotherapy, which was ifosamide etoposide. Um, uh, and in this study, patients who were randomized to just getting chemotherapy, if they actually progressed, there was the option to cross over, which meant you could actually, these patients could then continue to receive the chemotherapy, but now add on lenvatinib just so that they would have access and, and to see if, if they you know, may have um, sort of uh, benefit by adding the TKI on, on top of it. Um, and so this is the, the aim similar to the, um, uh, this is sort of the, the, the measure with which we are going to, to, to look at to see if this indeed is um, something that is truly active in patients with relapse refractory osteosarcoma. And that's again, looking at sort of this, this um, since we have a benchmark at four months for these patients, uh, looking at whether or not they progress on, com on therapy at four months. Um, this study was an international study, and I think this is a, a really important point. You know, it's to, to do these types of studies in a very rare disease or tumor type like osteosarcoma, you know, but one of the, the challenges of these types of studies is, is you know, getting enough um, patients to answer the question. And the, really the only way to do that is to sort of band together. And, and that is sort of what one of the sort of 
um, you know, wonderful things about the Ali study was this was an international collaboration. Actually, just like the the, the largest um, sort of COG uh, study of, of uh, on in osteosarcoma, that was also that that evolved into an international sort of collaboration because we knew it was just taking so long to. Um, uh, to get enough patients to answer these really important fundamental questions. Um, and because of that, and, and why we've sort of retooled this talk is because, because of this, we have been able to actually complete accrual onto this study um, uh, really just in the past month or so. So um, now the patients, so we have the patients um, and they're being treated and really now they're being monitored. So now we sort of wait to see um, if the, you know, the activity that we were seeing in the earlier studies sort of bears out. So I think we'll hear more about sort of the outcome of this study in the next several months or, or, or year. But, you know, I think we're, at, we're forever optimists. And, and so hopefully we um, actually see an improvement uh, and see something that just we haven't seen in such a very long time. And so you know, this this wasn't actually the very first time we've looked at these TKIs before. You know, I think um, a lot of us here are familiar with the TKIs and sort of their role in osteosarcoma. I think a lot of people are familiar with this uh, drug called regorafenib, which is also a TKI. It sort of is very similar to linvatinib. It just has slightly different targets, but a lot of the same targets that linvatinib had. And this was the uh, study in, in relapsed refractory osteosarcoma that was done by the European group that was called the Rigobone study. And in, and in this study, they saw it at two months, you know, uh, a, a good number of the patients uh, that were not progressing. And there was a, actually a similar study that was done by the um, American uh, group led by Lara Davis um, uh, that essentially saw sort of the, the, same, the same thing, that treatment with just regorafenib by itself, and this is an, an oral, oral TKI, um, did um, improve or lengthen the um, progression-free survival by a couple of months. So not a home run, but you know, they're, they're, it's just, um, we want to take sort of these, these small sort of um, successes and, and sort of use them and develop um, on top of them. And then most recently, another TKI, something called cabozantinib um, in the K-bone study also had sort of fairly um, sort of similar type of result in terms of being able to at least stabilize and, um, uh, and slow down the, the um, progression in uh, patients with relapsed uh, osteosarcoma. Um, so what are, what other trials, so what's, what's sort of been exciting for osteosarcoma, at least from our perspective is, you know, we were very frustrated because for a long time it was just regorafenib and capozantinib most recently, but there really weren't a lot of other clinical trials for osteosarcoma, but it really in the past year, all of a sudden we we're excited because now, and what I'm about to sort of describe are sort of the uh, recently opened, um, clinical trials for relapsed uh, refractory osteosarcoma. One of them is, is um, this trial, which um, uh, is conducted through the Children's Oncology Group, looking at this, this compound called DSA201. And I think there was a, a prior osteobites uh, where I think Dr. Richard Gorlick talked about these classes of drugs called antibody drug conjugates. And that's what this DSA201 is. And what it is, is it's an antibody that recognizes a protein on the surface of a tumor. In this case, um, HER2 is the, the protein. And HER2 is a protein that's expressed in different tumor types. Um, most people are familiar with HER2 and it's, and it's a role in breast cancer, um, but osteosarcoma also expresses HER2 on its surface. And so it, we can sort of capitalize on that fact and, and that's what the antibody does. But all the antibody does is it directs the payload and the payload is in this case, chemotherapy. So it's a way of, sort of concentrating and directing your treatment just to the tumor cells with the hope that you have less collateral damage in the form of you know, less side effects or, or lesser side effects than what you would see if you just gave um, 
uh, chemotherapy. Um, and so that's what this is. This is um, a, a conjugate or a combination of this antibody linked to this chemotherapy. And this is sort of studies that were done by also by our group. Other groups have also um, done this, including Dr. Richard Gorlick's group. But the point here is that, you know, just with um, a couple of doses of this, of uh, DSA201A, it's also called trastuzumab, direct-tecan, we were able to see these are so-called, these are um, osseous sarcoma um, tumor models in mice that were generated from patients. And what you could see here and what I hadn't seen in a very long or ever um, are regressions in, in osseous sarcoma. So um, this and, and work by other groups um, uh, was what um, motivated and, and provided the rationale for this phase two clinical trial um, in patients with osseous sarcoma whose tumors also have to um, express or have HER2 on its surface. And the patients must have measurable disease or something that you can measure on a, on a scan. Um, uh, as, as you see here, the, this trial, while it's open, is currently on hold because they have accrued and have treated sort of the first set of patients. And so when that happens, the study sort of goes on pause as we sort of evaluate um, the, the outcome on those patients and also to sort of confirm that this is um, safe and patients who are being treated are not getting sort of or experiencing unanticipated side effects. So this is sort of one, one sort of new class of, of agents that are being used in osteosarcoma. The next one also conducted to the children's oncology group. Um, uh, and uh, this is led by Dr. Damon Reed um, is this agent called OST31164. I don't know if it has another name, but this is a type of an immunotherapy sort of uh, trial. Uh, and this is based actually on um, a very promising work in um, uh, dog or canine models of osteosarcoma where this, this agent actually um, showed uh, pretty good activity. And, and so just very generally, so what this is, is um, this, this compound essentially is infused into a person, and it's it's it says here it's a it's a type of a vaccine. But essentially, you're infusing sort of the instructions for um, a, a chimeric protein, so a hybrid protein of HER2. And what happens when you infuse this into someone? It's taken up by these immune cells called antigen-presenting cells, which then express this sort of protein on this HER2 hybrid protein on its surface. And what happens when that occurs is that you have these other tumor cells in your body, these things called CTLs or cytotoxic T lymphocytes that, are, that then get trained to say, okay, here's HER2. I'm gonna go look for HER2 at other parts of the body and kill them. So this is an immune-based strategy. And as I mentioned before, osteosarcoma has HER2 on its surface. And also as a byproduct of this, there are cells um, that are normal immune cells that are present in our bodies that suppress um, immune responses. And so this, this um, agent is, also somehow able to sort of inhibit the immune process that prevent our immune system to identify tumors. Tumors should, should not belong in our bodies, but unfortunately tumors have evolved ways to blind our immune system to their presence. And so this is, um, uh, again, I believe they uh, um, have accrued um, patient, a patient at least, um, onto this study. So this is very exciting. This has also been many years sort of in development. So it's very exciting to finally see it happen. Um, one thing with this uh, compared to the, the prior um, trial, uh, patients must have um, no evidence of disease to be eligible for this. So patients um, who have relapsed have to have their disease sort of taken out surgically um, and on scans can't have any disease to be eligible for this, for this um, trial. And then the next study is a study actually that um, is being led by Dr. Katie Janeway at Dana-Farber. And this is looking at these two drugs. One is called Olaparib and the other is Seralacertib. And what are these things? And so the, um, this is, uh, 
This is sort of what normally happens in a cell. So a cell before it divides has to make more copies of its DNA. But invariably what happens over time is you can make, your cell can make mistakes as it's making or replicating its DNA. That normally happens. And um, our cell has normal processes to say, oh, okay, if you um, have damaged your DNA or a mistake um, uh, happens, there are proteins um, like a protein called ATR that can pause um, sort of this process, pause it so that the cell can then go and fix the mistake that happens or fix any damage. And so these are these things called checkpoint. And you may have also heard of these classes of, of drugs called checkpoint inhibitors. But this is, this is sort of that checkpoint and a cell has different checkpoints before it is able to divide into two cells. And so, um, and tumors, as you can imagine, um, have uh, um, figured out how to use these proteins to its advantage. Um, uh, um, related to this is a, another protein called PARP, which if you have a mistake in your DNA, you need a way to repair it. And PARP is a protein that's involved in repairing any damage that happens to your DNA. So then why would you wanna combine the two of them? Well, if you think about it, um, and what happens in tumors like osteosarcoma that can increase and jack up the um, levels of ATR, for example, in their, in their tumors, and this has been studied and has been associated with poor response to chemotherapy or relapse. If you block then with an inhibitor, in this case, Seralacerta, which blocks ATR, you'd no longer get a pause. And so any sort of mistakes that you've accumulated or damage to the DNA that's accumulated will keep right on going and it's gonna keep trying to replicate itself. And then you hit it a second time and to prevent its ability to repair itself. And so what happens is you just get an accumulation of DNA. And then what happens when your DNA is really quite damaged um, is the cell is now unable, the tumor cell is now unable to replicate and processes like something called apoptosis um, is triggered and the cell dies. And so that is the rationale behind combining sort of these two agents um, and evaluating this combination in patients with recurrent osteosarcoma. And there are two groups um, here. There are, um, they are looking at patients with measurable disease, but also patients who um, are able to have all of their disease resected and sort of what they're looking at, um, they're sort of anal will um, analyze these groups separately. The ones who are treated with measurable disease will, will have sort of that four-month evaluation point as with the other studies. And then the patients who don't have any disease and then start on this treatment, we're gonna ask the question, well, at 12 months, do they still have disease or not? And what is the proportion of patients who, despite having you know, surgery to remove all of their tumors and you know, being on this combination, what's the likelihood that they will have their disease come back despite all of this? So this is um, another study that's um, uh, uh, open at uh, Dana-Farber, as well as um, our center and, and others. And then this is a related sort of mechanism. This is um, another trial in looking at this drug called ZNC3, which is a WE1 inhibitor. And again, the same idea is if you inhibit WE1 and you give chemotherapy that will damage the DNA, and WE1 is also involved in, in sort of trafficking uh, and telling um, a cell to, to stop because you have damaged DNA and essentially removing the breaks um, and, and causing you know, something called, the, I love the term, mitotic catastrophe. You know, you're trying to divide, but your DNA is so messed up. Um, the only end result of that is death of the cell. And this was a combination of this gemcitabine, which is the chemotherapy, and the WE1 inhibitor ZNC3 was also evaluated in a mouse osteosarcoma model. And what you see here in the red is um, the, uh, its ability to really slow down the growth of the tumor compared to um, uh, this is just the WE1 inhibitor by itself, and this is the chemotherapy by itself. So this is things that we like to, to see. This is also now a, a trial that's open um, 
uh, in patients uh, with osteosarcoma. And then lastly, this is a trial actually that I, I sort of run and I've inherited, and this is a phase two trial of, of nexidimab, which is an antibody that recognizes a protein that's also expressed in a large number of osteosarcoma. In this case, this is a, the protein is called GD2. Um, and it's given in combination with this growth factor, GMCSF, which is granulocyte macrophage colony stimulating factor. And the idea is um, you infuse the antibody and it binds to the GD2 protein, which is present on the surface of osteosarcoma cells. And then you have GMCSF, which stimulates the immune system and specifically stimulates the, the cells that are involved in identifying cells that are tagged with antibodies like this and um, eats them or kills them. Um, and this is uh, um, for patients um, also who uh, have had all of their disease resected by surgery. Um, and we hopefully we are, um, this is a study that's been going for several years, um, but um, in the past year is finally opened at other sites, um, including um, Children's Hospital Los Angeles and MD Anderson. So hopefully by having additional sites um, uh, able to offer this trial, we can uh, finally complete accrual of the uh, 39 patients onto this uh, uh, trial. And again, looking at um, disease control at 12 months. And so those are sort of the, that, so those trials are sort of trials that are um, sort of highlighted just based on sort of the different mechanisms and the different rationales for them. Um, but, uh, and it was by, does not mean that that's all that there is. There's many other sort of um, uh, um, ongoing uh, clinical trials looking at different combinations of TKIs plus or minus chemotherapy. Um, but really what's exciting and, you know, I'm, I'm also sort of involved in evaluating um, uh, um, other agents that, um, at least in the laboratory, seem to have activity for osteosarcoma. Again, there, there's now sort of a whole host of these antibody drug conjugates or these strategies of delivering very potent chemotherapy that you normally couldn't give by itself because you would um, probably kill the person because it's so toxic, but delivering it in a very directed manner, but using um, proteins that are normally present, um, hopefully just on the tumor cell, so that we selectively just bring the bring the uh, the chemotherapy drug to the tumor. So there, there, um, and this is sort of a an area that I'm also very excited in and, and very much actively exploring in, in the laboratory. Um, and then there are these other um, sort of other strategies. There are these um, things called transcriptional inhibitors, which um, have also been shown to be active in the laboratory in osteosarcoma. I think we've all heard of these CAR T cells, same idea, sort of using the immune system or retrain or training the immune system to identify the tumor cell, but helping them along by giving them a target that's present on the osteosarcoma cell. And then, you know, we've really, I'm only starting to study sort of the role of metabolism and its role in promoting cancer. And so there are these metabolic inhibitors um, that are being explored. These are inhibitor, things that inhibit um, the um, production of amino acids in the body. Um, but there has been some work in, in primarily canine models looking at inhibitors of, of metabolism and combining them with things like metformin, for example. Uh, and uh, at least early on in the laboratories, it seemed to be um, some not some activity in osteosarcoma. Um, and then these other strategies that I sort of alluded to sort of, and there are these inhibitors to so this CD47 and SERP-alpha. And the, the general idea behind these is, as I mentioned before, tumors have evolved ways to blind our immune system to them. And this is one of the ways that they do this. Um, and so if we can inhibit that, we can then unblind our immune system with the hope that they can now see the tumor cell and eliminate them. 
Um, and then lastly, these epigenetic modifying agents, specifically these drugs called HDAC inhibitors. And these are, these are um, uh, you know, you can get a tumor not because you have a mutation or mistake in a gene, but you how those genes are and to what level those genes are expressed are um, uh, regulated by sort of the, the, the epigenetics of a cell. And so by, um, by sort of fine tuning and sort of getting things so that certain proteins are really only on or produced at, at any given time, um, can be accomplished with things like HDAC inhibitors. And by modulating that, um, that there's also been um, quite a bit of work now in osteosarcoma looking at um, the, these epigenetic modifying agents. So a lot of very sort of things on the horizon, a lot more, I hope, sort of than what existed even a couple of years ago, um, which I think is, is uh, really hopeful and, and really you know, good news for our, our patients. And so likely at the end, I'd just like to thank Dr. Natalie Gaspar and, and the ITCC group um, and ASI who've sponsored the, the um, OLLI trial, as well as Dr. Katie Janeway and Dr. Damon Reed for all of their work and sort of their leadership and sort of these next generation of clinical trials. And then all of you and all of the, the patients' families. And, and lastly, Anne and Anna with MIB agents for sort of giving us this opportunity in this forum to sort of to talk about these things, but also to sort of describe that, you know, while, you know, there's still much to do, at least we have a lot more than we had, again, not too long ago uh, for, for these patients. So I think with that, can chat. Thank God for that. I mean, we, have, we really have had no place to go but up on options and and what can what more can we do, especially when you have relapsed refractory disease? Um, just a, a, a quick um, question slash confirmation. I believe the Ali study is fully accrued. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So what does that what does that really mean in terms of it, will more spaces open up if the, I mean, can you, can you explain what that process is, is like now? Yeah. So, you know, at every study has, um, we say an accrual goal. So you need X number of patients to answer whatever the question is for a trial. In this case, the OLLI trial um, has preset that we, they, you know, we, they needed to treat a total of 72 patients. And after that, it stops. And then essentially at that point, they have enough patients um, uh, in the study being treated or has been treated in the study to um, answer their question. And so the, they have the 72 patients. And so um, at least in terms of looking, you know, of, of getting this, these agents within the context of that trial that, that's now sort of done. But maybe I can give a little um, more on that. It, it, you know, these trials are really to shine a light on the way forward, right? Um, and that's the, the point of them. So I think, first of all, uh, Dr. Delacruz is being um, quite humble because the reason that um, he's presenting the OLLI trial is because while the OLLI trial, the, the trial of the lenvatinib with the chemotherapy was going on, he was also looking at a trial to combine lenvatinib with another targeted agent in the, in the downstream pathway. So he was looking at the receptor and then blocking something down inside the cell to turn it off, um, something called Everolimus. But they specifically told us when we were doing that study that we could not do osteosarcoma on that study because they were really looking forward to doing this combination in um, osteosarcoma. And that's because this is the most common chemotherapy used for patients with relapse refractory um, osteosarcoma. And it works for some, but not for all. Um, and it didn't, it, while it worked for a period of time, it didn't seem to be durable. Um, and so really trying to better on what we had that was best with the goal of, well, if this works, well, why wouldn't you move 
um, the tyrosine kinase inhibitor, the VEGF and other growth, way path, uh, growth pathway inhibitor to the beginning, up front in the brand newly diagnosed patients. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, the, the process of all of our clinical trials really take this stepwise process. And what the OLLI trial represents is sort of the hardest step, the second step, right? The first step is, can we give it to patients? Is it safe? Do we know what dose to give it at? And um, is there a signal that it actually looks interesting? Then the next question is, okay, well, what if we put it in the context of something we already use? Does it make it better, <laughs> right? Um, and if it does, <laughs> then the idea is to bring it forward in, um, in uh, newly diagnosed patients. And so the reason to bring up sort of all of the different multi-tyrosine kinase inhibitors, so the lenvatinib, the cabozantinib, the regorafenib, is that I think they all have a similar signal. Lenvatinib seems um, it, it may be easier to combine with um, chemotherapy. We don't know because we really haven't combined the others with chemotherapy, but that really is uh, the goal that the COG is working on right now is to see if we can design a trial where we're using one of these uh, multi-tyrosine kinases together with MAP chemotherapy. And that would be the last step, the step three, which is obviously the hardest um, because you want it to be safe. Um, there's no guarantee that it's better than what we already have. That's why we do the study, right? We're trying to make it better, but we don't, if we knew it was better already, we wouldn't have to do the study. Um, and so um, I think what was really amazing about the OLLI trial is there was real concern um, from the sponsor, from ASI, that if we randomized a trial to something you could get right off the shelf and not have to be on a clinical trial, um, and only half the patients got the new drug plus what you could get off the shelf, would patients enroll, you know, and would we be able to finish the study? And, you know, the truth of the matter is I, they, they, um, they suggested that um, uh, Dr. Dela Cruz and I come speak to MIB today because they didn't think we would be here by now, which is that yes, patients did join the study because the patients and families wanna know just as much, if not more than those of us who are doing the research, whether or not it works so we can get it to the beginning sooner if we can. Um, so now we're at the waiting stage of knowing, um, so all the patients are getting their treatment right now and we don't know yet what the results are. So when we know what the results are, that will actually, as I said, shine a light on, on what to do next. But know that in the background, we're already planning this in COG because each of these trials of drugs that are slightly different, but overall similar um, in their mechanism of action have consistently shown a positive signal for helping patients with osteosarcoma. So now we just have to figure out how to use them. Um, and, that's, and that's a hard thing to do. I did notice in the chat, someone said, how do you know which one to give? <laughs> that's, that's part of the problem, right? They're similar, but they're not. Um, and, and so some patients will tolerate one drug better than they will tolerate another drug. The most common side effects of these drugs are um, sort of low level um, uh, gastrointestinal side effects. You kind of feel sort of low grade nauseated all the time, not like those really bad bouts that you get when you got cisplatin, but you sort of feel lousy, you know, food doesn't appeal to you some of the time. Some patients get diarrhea with it. That's probably the, the most common um, and feeling tired. Some of them, um, sometimes you get very high blood pressure. Um, and if you think about the way that those drugs work at um, sort of a, a trying to prune blood vessels, it increases the resistance of the part pumping because there are fewer blood vessels to pump into. So when we see the blood pressure go up, that's actually a good sign that the drug is doing what we'd like it to do. So we treat the blood pressure to bring the blood pressure down. We don't go back backwards on the dose. We don't backpedal and try to give a lower dose. Um, some people get rashes. Some people get a sore tongue. Um, and I think the trickiest part that we're gonna have to figure out for osteosarcoma is Normally your body doesn't need new blood vessels uh, to grow, but there are certain times when you do, like when you're healing a wound. 
And surgery is such a big part of the treatment of osteosarcoma that this is one of the tricky things that we're gonna to have to figure out about how to use those drugs. So, um, so we, we choose which drug based on, if there's a trial open, we'll always encourage you to go on the trial so that we can all learn something. Um, if not, you know, we may try one because um, we can get our hands on it. Um, so if they're FDA approved for another indication, we may be able to get it for you. Um, if there's good data, like the data that Dr. Dela Cruz showed, we can usually convince an insurance company to pay for it. Um, uh, and then if one is, um, gives you too many side effects, we may try another. Um, and sometimes actually, because they're slightly different, I think of them like, Anne, you asked me about playing an inst a musical instrument. I actually think about these drugs like chords on a guitar. They're like, they're different strings and some of them press a little bit harder on one string than another, um, but they're all sort of hitting the same pathways, but with a little slight, a slightly different emphasis. So one's like a sharp and one's like a flat, and, um, but they're all kind of playing the same tune. Um, uh, but so that that if one doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean that if you don't switch to another, it might work a little better. So how easy is it to get the necessary cell information from removed tumor tissue? So in, in terms of information, like the information that, um, so it's easier now. And, and the information I think that we're referring to is the genetic information. So, because a lot of these, you know, um, these targeted agents are, are very specific and, and generally sort of work because uh, you have a, a specific protein that's mutated. And, and so um, more and more centers um, have the capabilities of taking, you know, a, a piece of the tumor that the surgeon removes from a biopsy or from a a planned resection and, and do uh, sequencing. And there are many different degrees of sequencing, but I think there are, you know, more and more that the ability to do that has, has become um, easier, so. But I would add to that again, that um, it's, it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg with osteosarcoma. Osteosarcoma, the sequencing hasn't really to date told us which treatment will work for you. Um, but when we see patients who have an extraordinary response, we want to have that tumor sequencing so we can say, oh, okay, well, now we know they responded. Let's go back and say, what was different about their tumor versus sort of all the other um, patients who didn't respond to that and see if we can figure out what those biomarkers are that will tell us um, which patients are most likely to respond to which agents. And that's, um, you know, when we can do that from some of the standardized sequencing that lots of people get from either foundation one or their, or their, um, uh, their individual institutions. Um, but that also leads to, you know, what um, Anne alluded to earlier about a project that Dr. Dela Cruz and I are working on to try to use um, uh, computational biology and computer science algorithms and sort of um, uh, network um, building networks based on everybody's tumor to try to figure out what might work best for your tumor. So stay tuned on that one because hopefully um, uh, down the line again, as we feed more and more information into these computer algorithms, um, we'll be able to figure out which tumors responded to which drugs and why, and can we predict now based on all of that information, which drug might, might be best, best for you. Um, so that's, again, all, all, all of these clinical trials are really adding to that data um, that will help us to figure out um, if we can come up with a, a predictive um, uh, tool to figure out what's best for an individual. We're not quite there yet, though. But, oh, but it's so hopeful. I know. We're almost, you know, and-, and The next frontier, so- Exactly. And that's, you know, again- no matter what, these trials are building that those databases. Yeah, which is key, and how exciting that it's international. This is this is really exciting, and hopefully, all that data gets quantified and easily shared and, and understood by everybody. Um, okay, we we are over time. I think we still have questions, but 
um, we'll send those to you and then we'll <laughs> see if you can, if we can get back to everybody. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much, Dr. De La Cruz and Dr. Glade Bender, most of all for your commitment to osteosarcoma patients everywhere. Um, really, really a big deal to us to have really smart people focusing on osteosarcoma as an osteosarcoma patient and as somebody who loves a lot of osteosarcoma patients who are really suffering. It's a really big deal to us. Um, so more information on this and all osteobites can be found on our YouTube channel on mibagents.org or wherever you get your podcast. Um, we've got over 50 now, so you can go back and go through and, and find out more about these other trials that, that we've talked about today as well. Um, if you registered for this osteobite session, you'll be emailed the links to all of those uh, places shortly. And um, just want to remind you too that we do need your support on Giving Tuesday. We are committed to $43,000 being raised on Giving Tuesday in honor of the 43 kids who are diagnosed with cancer each day have to do better for them. Together, we get to cause a cure and we're gonna do it. Um, until then, thank you again to our brilliant doctors, um, Dr. Uh, De La Cruz and Dr. Julia Glade-Bender um, and to our panelist, Anna Eggleton today. Thank you for joining us and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving thank and thank Thanksgiving. you for everything thank you do. You. Yes, thank you. Subscribe to our YouTube channel.